morning. It's really uh, a privilege to be here uh, to share with you. Um, it feels good uh, to be back here. Um, a little Bible quizzing yesterday uh, to see my children also participating and enjoying together with you. Um, as Pastor Al mentioned, we've been in Cebu, Philippines since 2006. And I'm going to share with you a little bit. Um, I consider you as partners in our ministry. Uh, you pray for us and um, are supportive of us, of us in so many ways. Um, so my family uh, there, I have three uh, daughters and my wife is uh, um, there too. Where's it going? Oh, yeah. oh, long. There you go. Okay. Um, we've been doing uh, one of our objectives in our missions. We do emotionally healthy spirituality uh, lectures and conferences. So, uh, one of the things we do is emotionally healthy couple, and um, we work on building relationships. My wife is a trained psychologist and psychotherapist, and but we um, apply biblical principles in also very practical ways. Uh, this is one of our seminars there in our, our church with all the couples. And um, we also were able to present um, with the Baptist pastors on the neighboring I- island of Negros um, a, a, um, a day-and-a-half seminar of emotional and healthy spirituality. So God is opening doors for us uh, to work with church leaders. And basically the main idea of the emotionally healthy paradigm is that Um, In our relationships, we want to love people. The Bible says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes it's hard to love the people around us. And the main reason why is our emotions get in the way, whether we're we're frustrated, we're upset, and we don't know how to deal with it. So we we work on, in our discipleship, training people with um, emotionally healthy skills. Um, Our tutoring program is called G127, and uh, we've had some uh, praise reports this year. Um, in this picture here, you can see on the right the girl with the arrow. That's Giselle. In the background, that's our tutoring center um, before it was completed. And you can see there Giselle is quite short. Um, and uh, last month, she graduated with her degree in teaching. Okay, So she started with us in grade three. She's been on our staff, and uh, she finished her education degree. And um, Giselle's story, when she started tutoring, at about that time, her family, um, her father had left. And so her and her three siblings were with their mother in pretty difficult circumstances, um, not much money. She would work for her aunt in the market um, a whole day and earn a couple dollars to help her family. Um, but in that time, um, her mother uh, has found another husband, and they've been blessed with uh, four more children. And uh, this uh, picture was taken recently at our graduation uh, program we have at our church. Her parents do not attend our church. This was actually their first time in our church. And um, we had a graduation ceremony. And Giselle um, got up and kind of shared how God had worked uh, in her life and uh, was able to testify in front of her mom and her stepfather that God has been doing something good. And they also were able to see and experience that. So it was really a beautiful time. Um, We had three of our graduates from last year pass the board exam in education. So we're very excited to uh, be producing teachers, all right? And we've got 70 uh, of our students have now graduated co- uh, college, and we have uh, about six more still in school. Um, so G127, a part of our, uh, what we do is we take students, if they've been in our program for a few years, they could come on staff. When they're on staff, they earn a little bit of money, not much, but a little bit that's useful there. 
and then if they become staff leaders, they can get a college scholarship. So we've had seven graduate, and we have six more uh, in the um, ready going through the college experience. We also have a school. Um, we're partnered with the uh, Sisters of the Good Shepherd. They have a residence home for ladies who've been taken out of the sex trafficking industry in Cebu. And um, when they're brought out, they, uh, you know, obviously their lives are kind of a mess. They're not with their families. Uh, their families are pretty dysfunctional. They've been um, abused and taken advantage of. Many of them have been brought into addiction and different things. And so the, the nuns, uh, you know, they help them. They uh, help them get, uh, you know, detox and off, off drugs, off alcohol and those kind of things. And when they're ready to kind of start to reintegrate their lives, the first thing they want to work on is education. And we've been blessed um, for the, the sisters to trust us uh, with their education. The, the social worker uh, three years ago asked us. And so for the past three years, we've been doing full-time education for about six to seven uh, ladies um, as the time, uh, whoever's there at the time. Um, so four of them uh, passed their uh, next level exam, kind of like a GED, um, just this past month, and the two others that didn't pass uh, got a retake. We haven't heard the results yet, but we're praying that God will um, get them through. Um, Apple and Gail have been with us uh, three years, and they are both ready for senior high school grade 11. They started with us in elementary, like grade 3, grade 4, in the past three years. Now they're in grade 11, so it's really a big step up, and we're praying that God will continue to work in their lives. I want to take you to a special moment that we get to experience here in Cebu. Um, at the home, the, um, the, you know, the, the girls don't have their families. You know, their families may be far away. Their families are a mess. Um, and so the sisters try to do things to, to encourage them. So they, in uh, the Philippines, a big thing is a debut, which is the 18th birthday, kind of coming of age, like a sweet 16 here, or a quince in Hispanic cultures. And um, so we've had the opportunity, we've been invited uh, to be there for their debuts. And... Um, it's really a wonderful time. And there's not, you know, it, it's not the, we go to other debuts that are very, you know, a lot of pomp and sort of a lot of wealth, but um, they dress them up, we take some pictures, and they, you know, do a couple dances and stuff, but it's really a good time that we share together. And that was Gail, and then Jonah Lynn had her debut this past year that we also got to share. And we also were able to take them, uh, there's whale shark watching in the south of Cebu, so our school trip. This year, we went to swim with the whale sharks, so that was uh, quite uh, the fun. And we also went to climb a waterfall. So we tried to do a lot of exciting uh, things. This past year, Mari Chell from the Good Shepherd worked for us as uh, 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 Sophia's babysitter, um, which is not an easy job. And uh, we're continuing to pray for Mari Chell that she'll find um, God's will for her life. And we're also praying for Evelyn in this picture. Evelyn... uh, was in our school the first year. She passed her GED-type test. She's ready to go to college, but she kind of has gotten sidetracked and hasn't really gotten into it. So we're praying that this year that she will find her place. Another blessing that's happened on the far side of this picture, um, Stan and Marlene um, have recently come to our church. They're friends of Gigi, and um, they've gotten really involved. And they're retired. He's, uh, he was in the military in Europe, and they've, they've retired to Cebu. And they have really uh, begun to partner with us, working with Good Shepherd. Marlene's a very gifted cook, so she'll come once a week and teach the girls a new recipe, bring all the supplies, and they'll, they'll eat really well. So it's really been a blessing to have them partner together with us there. Um, and we also have our homeschool, 
which is my daughters and uh, 12 others. And we've been having a good time. This is them uh, many years ago. I think eight years ago now. So that'd be 2010. There's Josephine in the center. She's the one back there in the red shirt. She got taller. All right. Um, but this year, uh, they've gotten older, 2018. And those, many of them were grade six. And they, they went through the grade six graduation. All right. We've got a couple that are grade five and grade four. But um, it was really a wonderful time to see them uh, see the fruit of all their labor this year, we added two new young ladies uh, to, the, uh, to the home school. These girls are the younger sister of one of the Good Shepherd ladies. They had not been trafficked, but their family was in chaos. And um, Jenny and Jonah joined us this year. Uh, this was their first year in full-time uh, education. Last year, they came to us a day and a half a week. Um, they're 12 and 13 years old. Um, two years ago, they were on the street. Okay, you see street children and that kind of thing. That's where they were. Um, and they've started with us. They have to start at kindergarten and work their way up. But um, we went to our convention, and the one in the middle, Jenny, um, as she came to our school, we play a lot of volleyball and do some sports, and um, Jenny's pretty good, and she would get in our volleyball team. Our girls have been practicing a long time and are actually very good, and Jenny would get in right there with them, wasn't afraid. And then we'd run, and we'd find out Jenny was the fastest, and our girls were pretty fast. Well, we went to our convention. We found out she was the fastest person in the convention. So a convention of about uh, 15 private schools from all. And um, she got first place in the 100-meter dash. So it was really a big thing for her. And really see God um, giving her a confidence and a joy. Um, just starting school in kindergarten, age 12, not knowing much. And just, there's a real fear. And to see her um, come and take that confidence and realize what she can do has been really a blessing. And you can see she was sharing a song in our church at our closing program this year. Um, We're bringing uh, seven new girls into the homeschool this coming year. Um, So you can pray for these new girls. They have not been with us since they're little. So there's a lot of academic deficits, actually. So we're kind of challenging ourselves and seeing what we can do uh, with this new... uh, Endeavor, And uh, we also have a play group for Sophia and her friends. So we invite uh, little girls from our community and some from our church, and they come together with the mothers, and they play Legos, and then they go over to the tutoring center, and they sing some songs and do some stuff. But it's a way that we're trying to reach out to our community to uh, connect with uh, the parents, um, the mothers who are raising their children with, without a lot of resources, um, but they can be together with us, and it's been really a good time. Um, some of the outreaches going on at our church, we have a, a basketball tournament. Um, last year, Pastor FM had each, uh, our church basketball team, you know, we go and play at tournaments. He told each player on the team, you have to go and get a group of your friends to make your own team. And then we had a tournament, and the captain of each team was a kid from our team, but they brought their, their unchurched friends into that basketball tournament. So we have that tournament, and then in between games, they usually share a testimony and uh, encourage people to get to know the Lord. Um, we also have an outreach to college students. One of our college students uh, we call growth groups, where we get them into a small group dynamic. We work through a John Maxwell book. It's not religious. We don't want to get people you know, scared. Oh, it's a religious group. We want to get them introduced to this idea that we can sit down with someone else and share our hearts and not be ashamed of who we are, not be in this, but just a comfortable place where they're loved and accepted. And then um, Judy Ann was able to bring them uh, to our church anniversary, uh, this picture. 
And um, this is a new family that's uh, been coming to our church. We're thankful that God is bringing new people. Um, And one of our big outreaches also is we do, at the end of the year, we do a graduation banquet. And the graduation banquet, we invite um, our students with their parents. Many of their parents don't attend our church. And also our tutoring students who don't attend our church. So we have a graduation banquet together. And at the banquet, we ask the children, uh, the students to stand up and appreciate their parents. And we also ask the parents to come and and to bless their children, to give uh, a word of encouragement, um, some some of the things that they, we ask them, when when your child was first born, what did you think would happen with this child? And, you know, encouraging the parents to look back and to, to cherish that time, what God has done in their lives, and to be able to look that and also to look ahead. So it, um, this family is uh, in our community. Our, our community is pretty impoverished. Um, and this, a lot of the kids hang out and aren't doing their schoolwork and stuff. This family actually is really kind of a high-achieving family in our community. And um, to be that kind of a family in our kind of community requires kind of strict parenting. Um, and so kind of the relationship with the father is quite strained with some of the kids. And um, at this uh, event, um, when we asked the father, the father to get up and share it, he was hesitant at first. Actually, he had two daughters, one graduate high school and one graduate college. And when the first one got up, he told his wife, you, you go ahead. Um, but when the second one got up, he, he got up and he shared. And when he was in front of the he broke down and... Again, for uh, a leader, very strict on his children, you know, very, you've got to do this, and high standards. And he, he really was sharing how much he loved his kids. And even though things have been hard, that his heart was really for them. And um, the, they're very, very strongly Catholic. They, they, don't, they don't want Protestant. But his mother is very, um, very grateful to me after that. Um, event and just uh, thankful that um, her husband was able to uh, connect with their children. It was really a beautiful day for their, their family. Um, Ivy got baptized this year. We had one. We've got a, another one waiting when we get back. And one more story. This, this is Regine. And um, a couple of years ago, uh, Regine, Regine is from another uh, place in the country. She came to Cebu. A lot of people come to Cebu for work. It's an urban center that's growing. And Regine was one of those. She's tech. She's does some programming and stuff. Okay, making good money, doing okay, but uh, started struggling with depression. And um, so she's in the city by herself, depressed. And she posted online. Um, you know, she's not like. And um, a guy in Australia saw her post, and he messaged her on Facebook. Um, but his message went to, there's an alternate inbox if this person's not your friend. This guy didn't know her. So he sent her a message and said, you know, hey, you know, be encouraged. God can help you, that kind of thing. But she didn't see it. Two years later, um, she's, she's really desperate. She's ready to kill herself. She's closing down her Facebook account. And uh, she saw that inbox, that message. She hadn't seen it. She clicked on it read the message and she said oh what the heck she messaged the guy he messaged her immediately he was there online wait you know God had set it up waiting for that message boom starts talking to her what's going on what's going on how you doing I can help you and um, so they talked 
And this guy went on Google and Googled counseling in Cebu <clears throat> and found my wife, Gigi. And he said, uh, you know what, you go to her, I'll pay. So he sent her the money to go to counseling. She came to counseling with Gigi. She's worked through a lot of her depression and um, she's uh, come to our church. And so God has really done that. And then <clears throat> she's really talented with tech. And in our tutoring program, I'm like, I'm, I'm like behind, I'm old, right? And I can't just really. So anyhow, <clears throat> she was looking for work. And um, I asked her, you know, she was applying for two jobs. I said, how much are they paying? She's like, oh, 13,000 pesos a month. And I'm like, oh. So I hired her. And now she's, uh, she's working in our tutoring program. So she's teaching chess and computers and all sorts of stuff with our students. So God uh, got a hold of this lady and um, has put her into our program and has answered my prayer um, for help in the tech department with us and, uh, you know, rescued her from... Uh, from the depression. So God has been doing some really, really wonderful things. This morning, I want to talk to you about um, offering hospitality to one another without grumbling and uh, really talk about uh, what you might call the ministry of presence, okay? Um, Online a few months ago, I was reading and there's an article, young, successful, busy, yet lonely, a generation empowered by the internet, but plagued by loneliness. And I think... uh, we know that. We see that. We experience that. Um, our culture, many people are together, but they're disconnected. They're looking one way. They're looking another. We're all in a room together, but yet we're not able to connect. Some quotes from that article. I'm 19 from London. I've always struggled to make friends, and I'm getting worse. I don't have any people I can really do things with. I've met people on the Internet and even this very website, but it rarely lasts. I no longer want to just have people I converse with over a screen, anyone I sort of get close to, they disappear. I'm 18 in my first year at university. I'm unable to make friends. I'm friendly with my roommates, but I want to call it a real friendship because they don't seem to want to spend time with me. I'm 22, just graduated college with a bachelor's in business economics in the summer, and following following that, I was traveling in the Northeast for two months I'm really just looking to make more long-term, genuine friends online now that I'm done college. My friendship group has dwindled over the years, and now, I'm not in co- now that I'm not in college, every day it's a little bit more lonely, I guess. The assuredness that should be enjoyed by smart, engaged, digitally savvy, and successful 20- and 30-something-year-olds is for an increasing number overshadowed by a gnawing sense of isolation and loneliness. Loneliness among young people is a problem that has been slowly uncovered in polls. 86% of millennials reported feeling lonely and depressed in a 2011 study. A study in 2014 found that 18 to 24-year-olds were four times as likely to feel lonely all the time as those aged 70 and above. And our culture of increasing uh, connection also has increasing loneliness it's a feeling that few, uh, few, a feeling few feel comfortable saying out loud. Loneliness becomes a greater burden thanks to the social stigma inextricably linked to it, and accepting it means accepting an often scary understanding of the lives that we have constructed for ourselves. Humans were built for companionship, not to be alone, at least according to the growing body of research on the effects social isolation has on health. 
Older adults are more at risk of developing dementia if they endure chronic loneliness, is the conclusion of one often cited study, while a second claims a lack of social connections can be as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day for our health. God made us to connect with one another. And the way that our culture is going, we increasingly become isolated from other people. Even sometimes new people can visit our church and no one even talks to them. Hebrews 13 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. As we look at this passage, the author of the Hebrews is telling us that we need to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. And um, I don't know how your relationship with your brothers and sisters are. Some of us are very loving with our brothers and sisters. But the assumption there is that the, the love of our brothers and sisters needs to be extended beyond our natural families. That is, a members of the family of Jesus, that that love that we have for our biological brothers and sisters needs to be extended to all of those who call on the name of Jesus. And at the core of that, at the foundation, is there's, there's really this idea of empathy. When he says, remember those in prison, he says, remember as if you were their fellow prisoners. Think of what it would be like for you if you were the one imprisoned. How would you feel when someone writes you a letter? How would you feel when someone stops for a visit? How would you feel if you were isolated and no one came? Remember those in prison as if you yourselves were in prison. Remember those who are suffering as if you yourselves were suffering. Many times we do things for people really out of sympathy. We feel sorry for them, so let's help them. But the author of the Hebrews is saying, no, we do things out of empathy. We, We feel what other people feel. We care because we also are human. We can have the same experiences that they have. And he encourages to show hospitality and presence, and we'll look a little bit at these. Hospitality, a common word, right? The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. It's making the person feel a part of a group, a community, a fellowship, or a family. Uh, Making the person feel at home, comfortable, an atmosphere of care and acceptance. So the author's telling us that when we see other people... As believers, people should feel at home with us. People should feel comfortable with us. And it's our obligation as followers of Jesus to go out of the way to make other people feel at home, to make other people feel welcome, to make other people feel close to us. I'd mentioned uh, in my uh, about Stan and Marlene, the older couple that helps us with the Good Shepherd, and they just retired to Cebu, and they just started coming to our church. And um, they're not baptized, they're not members of our church, and they came to our church, and um, they, they have a gift of hospitality. And they invited our church to their house, and we came to their church, and they have a gorgeous house and a subdivision at the top of a mountain. It's immaculate. 
And we get to that house and Stan is like, what, what do you want to drink? And he's, oh, he won't let you get a drink of water. He's over here and he's going, Marlene's cooking for everybody. And they have a gift of hospitality. And I challenged our church. I think Stan and Marlene were more hospitable to us when we came to their house than we were to them when they came to our church. But they had this way of making us feel at home. One of the little girls in our church, they, again, they have an immaculate house. They have all these little decorations. She knocked something down and broke it. And they're like, oh, they just got it and put a little glue in it. Just, you know, just their home is an open place for people. And they want people to feel welcome and accepted and at home. And it's really the gift of hospitality that we felt and that we experienced. The opposite of hospitality, in the Philippines when you go places, the, the police before our current president, the police were like powerless. Like they really, I, you didn't see police. So, you know, it's, it's not really that scary unless you're in regions where they kidnap. But like where we're at, it's, you know, you don't feel scared, but you also don't see police. But since you don't see police, those people like banks and, you know, anybody with money, they need private security guards. So everywhere you go in the Philippines, when you go in, there's somebody at the door with a big gun greeting you. Even, you know, you go to the fast food restaurant, there's a guy there with a gun, Right. And this guy, like, this is kind of the opposite of hospitality, right? So, the op- inhospitable, right? So, you got somebody guarding the gate. Who goes in? Who doesn't go in, right? I told you about our convention with the, the uh, Jenny won the 100-meter dash. And we went to that convention. And they're like, at the gate, they're checking everybody for their tags, their ID. Can you get in? You know, and it's like, you know, it wasn't even like a big urban area. We're kind of out, you know. But they did not want anybody inside who did not belong. All right. Um, sometimes uh, when I go places in the Philippines and I, I'm, you know, I, I want to get, uh, say I'm there for a business or whatever. So I go up to the front and the lady's working on something and I'm standing there like, and she's just, and I, I'm like, they don't look at you sometimes, right? They just kind of avoid eye contact. And you're, you're just wishing they would say, I notice you're here. I need five minutes to finish this or ten minutes to finish it. You know, something, but just, they're here working. They want to look at you. Right? And avoiding eye contact. Have you ever been in that situation where you're trying to get someone's attention and they won't look at you, right? So those are kind of things that are inhospitable. Not acknowledging someone's presence. Someone comes in the room and, you know, you know, some people like a big, yay, we're here. Some people just like, but acknowledging someone's presence, that people are here, making people feel um, that they are noticed. Um, and sometimes we can be inhospitable. So I'm going to ask you a question. How do you make another person feel welcome? What makes you feel welcome? And what makes you feel unwelcome? And I want you, as you think about that, I want you to share that with somebody next to you. Okay, I'm going to give you about one minute, and I just want you to share, like, what, what comes to your mind? What, what do you do to make someone else feel welcome? What makes you feel welcome? What, what makes you feel unwelcome? All right? So just take a minute and share with someone next to you. Did you have any different answers? Right? Sometimes some people, something makes them feel welcome. Something makes somebody else feel unwelcome. You know, visitors come, you make them stand up. Some people like that. I want to stand up. Other people, oh, I don't want to stand up. Right? We're all a little different. Right? But as believers, we're sensitive to people. We're not necessarily trying to push our way of, you know, we have to give you this kind of welcome. But we're sensitive to what people 
enjoy. We're sensitive to people's responses to us. And we care about that. It's important. We make it a part of uh, who we are. Henry Nouwen um, talks about this thing called presence. And this is a quote from him. He says, more and more, the desire grows in me simply to walk around, greet people, enter their homes, sit on their doorsteps, play ball, throw water, and be known as someone who wants to live with them. It is a privilege to have the time to practice the simple ministry of presence. Still, it is not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful, to do something significant, or to be part of some impressive project is so strong that soon my time is taken up by meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops to prevent me from walking the streets. It is difficult not to have plans, not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you are working directly for social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name, to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories, and to tell your own, and to let them know with words and handshakes and hugs that you do not simply like them, but that you truly love them. And he's making a point that really points to us as evangelicals and probably as Bible quizzers that we're busy. And a lot of times our busyness gets in the way of being with people. And we need to structure our lives in such a way that we do not miss out on this very important aspect of life, being present with another person. And with the age of cell phones and digital media and computers, we are connected, we are here, and we are not here. And I think as believers, we need the spiritual discipline of putting down our cell phone. Not throwing it away, but of being able to put it down for a certain, for a meal, for a certain amount of time. That, that as, as much as we pray before a meal, as much as we, you know, we go to church on Sundays, as much as we tithe, we have the ability to say, you know what, this cell phone does not control me. I can set this thing down. It is my tool, and I use it to bless, but I also, it's, it's under discipline, it's under control. And I can be with the people that I love and that I care about. Here's a um, Shel Silverstein poem. You got anyone like Shel Silverstein? She has blue skin, and so did he. He kept it hid, and so did she. They searched for blue their whole life through, then passed right by and never knew. And just the idea that we, we live our lives with masks, pretending, protecting. And just like we have a mask, the other people that we encounter also have their own mask and we never get to know that they're so much like us because we're busy looking at their mask and projecting our own you feel disconnected because you are because when in a group of people instead of actively listening and participating you're running all these various thoughts and ideas in your head to put it simply you are not present by now everyone has probably heard the slogan of be in the moment this is exactly what creates the connection when interacting with people. So I took an article and took a few suggestions out of here. So in essence, there are a few things that you can do if you want to increase your connection to the people around you. First of all, you have to start learning to let go of your thoughts instead of holding on to them. When a thought comes which makes you withdraw, say to yourself, I will think about this later. Right now, I want to fully understand and participate in the conversation and return your focus on the person that you're interacting with. Train yourself to consciously be in the moment. When you're talking with someone, really look in their eyes and fully try to understand and most importantly feel what they are talking about. 
have a goal of making other people feel good. Most of the time, our disconnection comes from always thinking about ourselves. So stop that for a moment. What will make the person that I'm talking with feel good? How can I encourage them? How can I bless them? Express your own ideas and opinions without restraint. Part of you feeling disconnected could be that you are not fully expressing yourself. And many times we're in relationships, and it kind of goes back to that little cartoon. We have our mask up. We're not really, we, we're there to help somebody. So, you know, we're busy helping them, but we're not really ourselves. And we're not really ourselves. We don't feel fully connected because we're not, you know, we're just helping them. But in relationship, we need to also offer them some of ourselves, not just expect them to um, say things. So practical ideas, putting yourselves in their shoes. Be aware of insider talk. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, if you're a professional, a certain my, my brother's a musician, and um, you know, I play a little guitar and I play and I can read music, but he he can talk above my head, so he'll be talking about stuff and saying stuff and just goes over my head, boom, 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 and he's done it for years, and I can't get him to bring it down to my level so I can understand, you know, and so when I'm with him and he talks, I don't know what he's talking about. You know, I'm a wrestling coach, right? And I can talk about wrestling and say things that none of you understand, right? Because I'm, I'm really good, you know. But, you know, so we can talk above people's head. We can have insider talk. We can have church talk that makes other people feel not apart. And we need to be aware and sensitive of that kind of things, all right? Be aware of people's needs. Um, sometimes people are in conversations with us. They may be very hurting. They may have serious needs that we just seem to be oblivious to. Don't just talk, listen. Connection, we, we, it's very important to offer ourselves, but we also take time to listen. Asking questions is important. Um, one thing I like to do, I like, sometimes I'll ask a question about myself, and then when the person shares, I'll kind of, sh- I'll kind of share something, the same thing about me. Like, oh, how many people in your family? Oh, we have seven people in our family. Oh, I have nine people in my family. You know, like that kind of thing. It makes a balanced conversation. When people are with you, you know what they're doing? They're feeling the atmosphere. They're feeling it. They're sensing it. Are you a safe person? Are you going to come and try to control me? Are you going to withdraw from me and not talk to me? Are you going to judge me? That's what they're doing. We're all doing that in relationships. And as believers, we're to be wise. We're to be aware that this is what's going on. And we're to take the time and energy to make people feel safe and cared for. Uh, Make connections, establishing common ground. Share yourself. Share your story. I think this idea of story is so, so, so important. Um, We're in this room, and there's many stories here. Many people have immigrated. That in itself is a tremendous story of courage. And many people don't know your story. And your story, as a believer, reflects God. Your story reflects God's faithfulness to you. And maybe you're not a a preacher or an evangelist, but you have a story. And as you share your story, people can see God's light in you. I will never, ever forget, we did Bible quizzing, and um, Helen Tang was my assistant coach. And I had her share one time, and she shared her story of how she grew up. And I I was floored of... You know, we had done Bible quizzing ministry together for a few years. Her daughter was involved. And, you know, hi, how are you? But knowing another person's story creates a depth of connection. And we need to be sure that we live 
at that level, not just on the surface level. Laughing and sharing joys are also ways to build that kind of community. Jesus told us, he, um, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And Jesus here is saying, be hospitable. Don't just focus on your friends. It is good and important, very important to connect with your friends, but it's also too important to connect with other people. And in this passage, the author says there's a hidden blessing of hospitality. He said, you know what? Some people have offered hospitality to strangers, and they have, entertain- they have offered hospitality to angels without knowing it. We were at this convention that I talked about earlier this past year. And the convention's a lot like a Bible quiz. You've got all these teams coming, and they want to win. You know, they want to be first in volleyball. They want to be first in this, and da-da-da. And so, you know, these groups that want to be first, and they have their school pride. And so you've got all these circles of, of students, right? And me, I, I'm the type of person I kind of like to break this. Like, I like to create a little social chaos, you know, bother people socially. Like in church, you know, I like to do, I like to, you know how people have assigned seats in church? I like to sit in people's seats. Right? I sit where they're supposed to sit, and then they look at me. They won't say anything. But in this situation where we come together at the convention, um, you've got these groups that are you know, kind of to themselves. The kids are nervous about winning. Blah, blah, blah. And um, so there were two girls sitting in the circle next to us. And I, you know, I started talking to them a little bit. Hey, how are you? And... Um, Talking to these girls, um, they were from a new school. It was their first year at convention. So they're nervous. They don't know anything. They don't know anybody, and they're scared. And I went and got to talk to this was their teacher and um, started talking to their teacher. And they're from a school in Leyte, which is the island next to us, the island that was um, struck by the, the hurricane that, that came through a couple years ago that devastated um, the country. And um, the school was a school mainly of orphans. Uh, they lost both their parents, a lot of them, from that hurricane. <laughs> Where does, the convention's a lot of rich kids. Private schools. You know, I've got my group that's a little different. But there's this other group here that's a little different. And um, I felt like I reached out wanting to bless them. They blessed me. And this lady, and she, you know, she's an older lady and... You know, I don't know, you can, like, older lady working in orphanage, it's hard. These young kids, like, relating, doing all that stuff, trying to keep these kids, it's hard, it's hard. I, like, I feel like I'm an older, older man, right, you know, like, and um, so I was able to talk to her and encourage her, but she really encouraged me, and I felt like at that moment, here I was trying to be hospitable, and I was blessed. And uh, we got to meet their kids and uh, the people at their school, and then at the end, um, this little girl was running next to Jenny in the 100-meter dash. And Jenny's quite a bit taller. And this little girl's probably, it's like 8 to 12. And she's probably like 8 or 9. And Jenny's 12. And Jenny's pretty. And so during the, before the race, I was talking to this little girl. I said, oh, you know, just kind of playing. You know, I like to make jokes and stuff. And, um, but at the end, she took that picture um, with Alicia. And Alicia said to me afterwards, she said, that little girl was very happy to take the picture with me. She was very happy to be my friend. You know what? They got an award. Like they got a second place ribbon or something. 
And she said she was happier to take that picture than she was about her ribbon. And that's really with hospitality what goes on. More important than the outward stuff and the outer things is that connection with another person. That, you know, this little girl who, you know, I don't know what she thinks about herself. I don't know what she thinks about her life. But she's able to connect with someone and feel loved and cared for with this hospitality. Um, So sometimes we don't show hospitality and we have reasons, right? Some people say it's not my gift. Like, I don't have the gift of hospitality, right? But really with spiritual gifts, there's also there's a spiritual discipline to being hospitable to other people. Some people I say I'm shy. Uh, Moses said that, and if you've read the passage with Moses, Moses kept telling God, you know, I'm shy, I can't really speak, I can't really do this. And in verse 14 there, it says what? The Lord's anger burned with Moses. So basically, you know, God... If God puts you in a place to connect with somebody, even when we're shy, God expects us to do it. God expects us to step out of our comfort zone. All right? And when he does, you know what? You might entertain an angel without knowing it. It might be hard. It might be difficult. But there's really a good reason to do it. Sometimes we're not hospitable. We don't connect with people because they they hurt me. I've been hurt. I feel injured. I'm afraid. In Romans 12, where it also talks about practicing hospitality, look at the context. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And scripture is clear that even when we've been hurt, we have this courage to reach out to bless even those who have hurt, it, hurt us. Sometimes in our contacts in the Philippines, we have a lot of economic disparity and people, I don't have resources. I like Stan and Marlene have a beautiful house. I don't have a beautiful house. But our sharing, our hospitality doesn't have to be monetary. Practice hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. That's hospitality. When someone else is rejoicing, you rejoice with them. When someone else is mourning, you mourn with them. You, you take part together in their lives. And sometimes we, we have prejudices. We don't like a certain kind of people. And again, in Romans, it says this, live in harmony with one another. This is in context of practice hospitality. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Sometimes our pride is in the way of us being hospitable to others. So we have these reasons for not showing hospitality. At the core of hospitality is really God's hospitality. In the parable of the prodigal son, the older son had gone out and wasted everything. He was a mess. And when the father saw him, he said this, Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. And the father has this excitement about this son who's a mess coming home. He has the same excitement about you. He has the same excitement about me. He has the same excitement about anyone who comes to his table, that he will set his table, that he will kill the fattened calf, that he will have a celebration because you are here. And if you experience God's hospitality towards you, we naturally become hospitable toward others. The older brother resisted that hospitality. Verse 25 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he was upset. 
And he refused to go into the Father's hospitality. And many times that's us. We're just here. We're so frustrated. Things aren't fair. Things aren't right. This isn't. And we can't open our arms to someone because different things that have gone on. I'd like to uh, just invite you to uh, consider this morning um, accepting God's hospitality. God loves you. If you don't experience God's love and God's hospitality, you don't have something to give to other people. If you have an excuse for not being hospitable, I don't like those people, I'm shy, it's not my gift, think about, maybe I can, maybe I can try something different. Maybe this is a place to grow. Be present with people, guard your mind, watch your addictions, share your story. And addictions, are, you know, phone addictions, right? And look for opportunities to make other people feel at home. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful, Lord, that you are hospitable. Lord, that you have prepared a place for us. Lord, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. Lord, that you would make something wonderful for us. Lord God, but who are we? We are sinners. We are people who have failed you. We are people who have messed up. We've, we've denied you at times. We've, we've fallen into sin. We've, we've made a mess. We've hurt people. But Lord God, you still love us. You call us your son and daughter and you set a table for us. And Lord, may we as your people learn hospitality. May we grow in it. May we become a place. Lord, I pray that this church would be a place when any person walks in this door that they would say, something is different here. These people love. These people care. It's not just surfacy. It's not just pretend but a depth of hospitality and love for the people who come this way. And Lord, all for the purpose that the people would know you and that your name would be glorified. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.